Hello and welcome to Counting Pixels. This is a retro gaming podcast for powering down. I'm your host, Tom, and in this first episode, we're going to dive into the depths of Final Fantasy VII, one of my favorite games of all time. But with so much history and a lasting legacy, we will likely only be scratching the surface. I'm not sure how deep we'll be able to go. So this is a new podcast, and it might be unlike any retro gaming podcast you've listened to before. It's really a show about slowing down, reducing stress, reducing anxiety, and preparing for sleep, all while meandering through the history of video games. So if that sounds boring to you, it's kind of by design. This podcast is boring by design. I'm going to spend the next hour or so reading to you, talking with you, sharing stories, and hopefully tapping into some positive nostalgia, maybe some memories that you have from the past, hopefully all good things. So if that sounds good, we'll get started. And before we get started, I just want to remind you that the information presented in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It does not constitute as medical advice. I'm not a medical professional and I cannot diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you have any health concerns, please consult with a qualified healthcare provider and any actions that you take based on the information in this podcast are at your own risk. I have to say all those things, you know all those things. But before we get started, I just want you to sit back or maybe lay back if you're in bed or on a couch Definitely listen where you can get comfortable and just begin to relax as we go down the internet rabbit hole for Final Fantasy VII. And it's always good to take a few deep breaths, just becoming mindful of your breathing, just at the beginning, you know, mindful of your body, paying attention to anything that might feel off. Maybe you have some tension, maybe you have some anxiety. I know I do, (laughs) that's why I started this podcast. If you wanna learn more, you can listen to episode zero. It's kind of the teaser episode where I share kind of my thoughts for wanting to start this podcast in the first place to kind of deal with my own challenges, some of my own anxieties. And to do that, I've really grown fond of boxed breathing. And you can close your eyes or you can leave your eyes open. And if you want to try box breathing, you just breathe in deeply through your nose for four seconds to start. Really trying to let the belly expand. Take a nice, deep, full breath into your stomach. And at the top, you'll hold it for four seconds. And then slowly release for four seconds. Exhale. And then at the bottom, you'll hold for four seconds. So if you visualize a box, drawing a box, with each line lasting four seconds, you can repeat this with a series of deep breaths and then holding them at the top and the bottom 
So let's try it together. Inhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. You can repeat this if you want. You can adjust this to three seconds or five seconds, whatever feels good for you. If you want to just visualize kind of creating that box with your mind with each rep. And I only do a few of these when I need to. Uh, I'll do, you know, three to five. And I'm not an expert by any means on box breathing and box breathing hasn't solved all of my problems, but it certainly has been helpful. If I ever feel tense in my body somewhere, I really like to imagine I'm breathing deeply into that one spot, bringing oxygen directly to whatever needs it. And as I exhale, I can sometimes feel that tension recede. So give it a shot. And after this episode, maybe do some more research if you want to learn more about box breathing or other breathing techniques. And if you want more time, feel free to press pause here and come back to the episode when you're ready. But with that, let's get into it. Let's get into today's topic, which is Final Fantasy VII. So I'm very excited for today's episode. I have a stack of physical Final Fantasy novels right here in front of me. And I also have digital copies of magazines from back in the day, back in the 1990s, instruction manuals and player's guides from 1997, all at the ready. But let's start where I always start on the internet, which is Wikipedia. It's a trusted resource. We'll learn more about the release and development of Final Fantasy VII, and we'll just see where things go from there as, again, we kind of go down that internet rabbit hole. So let's get started. Final Fantasy VII is a 1997 role-playing video game developed by Square for the PlayStation console. This is one of the kind of quintessential RPGs of this era, and it it really uh, changed the trajectory of JRPGs as as we know it. Um, some people love it, some people hate it. It hit me at a very uh, critical uh, period in my life. I was young when this game came out. Um, I was 11 years old when this game was released, so about 11, 12 years old when I played it for the first time. And I'll talk a little bit about my history of the game as we kind of go through this episode today. Uh, But it was developed by Square. Uh, It was released on the Sony PlayStation, uh, as I had mentioned. And according to Wikipedia here, the game's story follows Cloud Strife. Many of you know this character, even if you've never played the game, 
I'm sure you've seen him before. Spiky-headed protagonist with a very large sword on his back. Uh, he has grown all the more popular throughout the years, uh, along with uh, the villain, uh, Sephiroth. And uh, he, they even appear in Smash Brothers, right? So they've made that crossover into the zeitgeist of gaming. So Cloud Strife is a mercenary who joins an eco-terrorist organization to stop a world-controlling mega-corporation mega from using the planet's life essence as an energy source. Uh, to really explain this game in one sentence is near impossible, especially when you layer in the complexity of the story as it's developed over the years through different side games that were released uh, and also a highly produced uh, remake uh, which came out a few years years ago and at the time of this recording uh, we are just weeks away from Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth which is the sequel to Final Fantasy 7 Remake which was released in 2020 so as I mentioned uh, Cloud joins this organization called Avalanche and what starts out as a simple kind of covert heist mission turns into a very complexly developing plot. Uh, Cloud uh, and his team meet uh, Sephiroth, who I mentioned earlier, who is the antagonist in this story. He is a superhuman who seeks to wound the planet and harness its healing power to be reborn as a god. During their journey, Cloud bonds with his party members, including Aerith, who holds the secret to saving their world. So again, very difficult to explain this game in one paragraph. So we'll continue to dive deep. Final Fantasy VII was released on the Sony PlayStation, but development began in 1994 originally for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And this is actually a pretty important moment in video game history because as everyone knows, uh, the previous Final Fantasy games were released for Nintendo platforms. Uh, Final Fantasy VI, which was released as Final Fantasy III for the Super Nintendo, um, is, you know, possibly you know, and, and probably with good cause, you know, considered one of the greatest RPGs of all time. Uh, and it was certainly a staple on that console, along with Final Fantasy II here in the US. Uh, and then of course, Square released many amazing RPGs on that, that platform. Uh, Chrono Trigger, of course, uh, coming to mind. Uh, so because there were delays and technical difficulties, they actually moved development uh, to uh, Nintendo 64 briefly, uh, and then finally moved production to the PlayStation. Uh, they received so many advantages from being on a CD-ROM on a disc. Uh, you start to see that certainly with the use of full motion video and 3D graphics, uh, and especially the 2D rendered backgrounds, uh, pre-rendered backgrounds in this game. Everything just looks beautiful for the time. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'd imagine they just simply couldn't do that on the Nintendo platforms that were available to them. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the development of the game. Uh, let's cut right to the chase. Uh, initial concept talks for Final Fantasy VII began in 1994 at Square Studio following the completion of Final Fantasy VI. Uh, as with the previous installment, series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi reduced his role to producer and granted others a more active role in development. These included Yoshinori Katase, one of the directors of Final Fantasy VI. The next installment was planned as a 2D game for Nintendo's Super Nintendo Entertainment System, and after creating an early 2D prototype of it, the team postponed development to help finish Chrono Trigger. And once Chrono Trigger was complete, the team resumed discussions for Final Fantasy VII in 1995. The team discussed continuing the 2D strategy, which would have been the safe and immediate path just prior to the imminent hit industry shift towards 3D gaming. Such a change would require radical new development models. The team decided to take the riskier option and make a 3D game, a new generation of hardware, but had yet to choose between the cartridge-based Nintendo 64 or the CD-ROM-based PlayStation from Sony Computer Entertainment. I didn't know this, but it says here in Wikipedia that the team also considered the Sega Saturn console and Microsoft Windows. And their decision was influenced by two factors, a highly successful tech demo based on Final Fantasy VI using the new soft image 3D software and the escalating price of cartridge-based games, which was limiting Square's audience. And I do rem remember that. I rem remember certain uh, Super Nintendo games and Nintendo 64 games carrying a larger price tag uh, in my local stores back in this time period. Uh, so that that is interesting that that comes up here. Uh, so I'm guessing the CD-ROM was a more consistent uh, cost and price point uh, in, in their planning. So... In contrast to the visuals and audio, the overall gameplay system remained mostly unchanged from Final Fantasy V and VI, but with an emphasis on player control. The initial decision was for battles to feature shifting camera angles. Battle arenas had a lower polygon count than field arenas, which made creating distinctive features more difficult. The summon sequences benefited strongly from the switch to the cinematic style as the team had struggled to portray their scale using 2D graphics. So yeah, you can definitely see, uh, and you know, summon sequences of course in this game are when you summon kind of a larger monster or a larger character uh, to come do damage on your opponents. And usually uh, these are longer cinematic sequences. And I just couldn't imagine them having the same effect with uh, 2D graphics. Uh, especially the scale. And if you've ever played this game, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's one specific summon called Knights of the Round, which uh, it, it's, it's long. It, it takes quite a while uh, to go through that sequence. And um, yeah, I just couldn't imagine that scale in 2D graphics. Uh, in his role as producer Sakaguchi, 
placed much of his effort into developing the battle system. Uh, and this battle system is that active time battle system. So very similar to Final Fantasy VI. Uh, he proposed the Materia system, uh, which is a way of uh, equipping different elemental uh, magic and different abilities and different skills and your summons uh, to your character's armor or to your character's uh, weapons so that you can make those available. Uh, he proposed this system as a way to provide more character customization than previous Final Fantasy games. Battles no longer revolved around characters with innate skills and roles in battle uh, as material could be reconfigured between battles. So you could really, you know, within uh, just a few minutes, change uh, the types of characters you had, uh, whether you wanted someone to be a healer or to uh, be a thief. Uh, you can do that on the fly uh, with the material system in between battles. So that was a great uh, introduction to, to this game. You see elements of that too in future Final Fantasy games as well. And artist Tetsuya Nomura, famous for Kingdom Hearts amongst many other games, also contributed to the gameplay. Um, it says here in Wikipedia that he designed the Limit Break system as an evolution of the desperation attacks used in Final Fantasy VI. Uh, super awesome limit breaks as you take damage, you know, your limit break bar would fill up and you had a series of limit break uh, attacks and abilities that would unlock throughout the course of the game. And uh, it says here that they evoked each character's personality in battle. And I think that that's true. Uh, I think that that's very true. Uh, you learned a lot about the characters and the types of characters they were intended to be uh, through a lot of their limit break attacks, uh, which is very awesome. So Final Fantasy VII was at the time one of the most expensive video game projects ever, costing an estimated $40 million, which adjusted for inflation, uh, came to $61 million in 2017. I'm sure it would be even higher today. Development of the final version took a staff of between 100 and 150 people just over a year to complete. As video game development teams were usually only 20 people, the game had what was described as the largest development team of any game up to that point. The development team was split between both Square's Japanese offices and its new American office in Los Angeles. And the American team worked primarily on city backgrounds. So I guess there's pre-rendered pre -rendered backgrounds. Uh, there's a bit of information here on art design so you can always head on over to wikipedia at some point if you want to learn more about that i do want to spend some time talking about the scenario or, or the story because uh, there's a little tidbit in here that i've always found to be interesting uh, and it's about kind of the initial setting and the initial scenario for the game before it developed into what it developed into so Sakaguchi was responsible for writing the initial plot, which was quite different from the final version. In this draft for the planned Super Nintendo version, the game setting was envisioned as New York City in 1999. And similar to the final story, the main characters were part of an organization trying to destroy Mako reactors. Those were those kind of 
uh, I mentioned at the beginning, there was an eco-terrorist group. Uh, they were trying to destroy these re reactors, uh, which were uh, sucking uh, the life stream out of the planet, turning that into energy, which they called Mako or Mako. I'll probably use words interchangeably here, so I apologize if you're stuck with one word. Uh, and these main characters were pursued by a hot-blooded detective named Joe. The main characters would eventually blow up the city. An early version of the livestream concept was present at this stage. And according to Sakaguchi, uh, his mother had died while Final Fantasy III was being developed. And choosing life as a theme helped him cope uh, with her passing in a rational and analytical manner. And this is the note that I always found interesting. Square eventually used the New York setting in Parasite Eve, which was released only a year later, uh, 1998. So while the planned concept was dropped, Final Fantasy VII still marked a drastic shift in setting uh, from previous entries. Uh, it, it dropped that medieval fantasy element uh, and setting in favor of a world that was ambiguously futuristic. That's in quotations here. Um, and, you know, some would say it's more kind of steam steampunk uh, in a way. Uh, so when Kitasi uh, was put in charge of Final Fantasy VII, he and Nomura worked, uh, reworked the entire initial plot with uh, scenario writer uh, Katsushige Nojima. And, I actually have next to me three novels by Katsushige Nojima. And I'll talk a little bit about these later, but I have The Kids Are All Right, A Turk's Side Story in my hand as I speak. I have On the Way to a Smile, which is kind of a collection of short stories. And I have Traces of Two Pasts, which I have not read yet. Uh, this is next on my list. And I was intentionally planning to read this uh, before I played through Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, uh, because this is supposed to be uh, directly tied to Final Fantasy VII Remake. So those three novels uh, are written by Nojima, uh, who worked on the initial scenario, the initial script uh, for Final Fantasy VII. He joined the team after finishing work on Bahamut Lagoon. And while Final Fantasy VI featured an ensemble cast of a bunch of different playable characters that were equally important, uh, the team really decided to develop a central protagonist for Final Fantasy VII. And the pursuit of Sephiroth that formed most of the main narrative was suggested by Nomura, as nothing similar had been done in the series before. Katasi and Nojima conceived Avalanche and Shinra as opposing organizations and created Cloud's backstory as well as his relation to Sephiroth. Very complex, complicated relationship between the two uh, that only continues to get further revealed you know, throughout other games. Among Nojima's biggest contributions to the plot were Cloud's memories and split personality, and this included the eventual conclusion involving his newly created character of Zack. The crew helped Katasi adjust the specifics of Sakaguchi's original live stream concept. 
So regarding the overall theme of the game, Sakaguchi said, it was not enough to make life the theme. You need to depict living and dying. In any event, you need to portray death. Uh, consequently, Nomura proposed killing off the heroine. And spoiler alerts for anyone who has never played this game, the heroine, Aerith, uh, is, is killed off in the game. And it actually uh, becomes uh, this moment in video game history that has been shared and talked about in, in many cases, uh, many, many times. Uh, there was also rumors back in the day um, that you could resurrect Aerith uh, or find a way to bring her back to life and get her back into your party, uh, which is very, very interesting. Um, you know, it says here the developers decided to kill Aerith as her death would be the most devastating and consequential. And it certainly was. It's, it's not that Hollywood moment. Uh, here it says Katasi wanted to depict it as very sudden and unexpected, leaving not a dramatic feeling, but, but great emptiness, uh, feelings of reality and not Hollywood. So there, uh, what I just said, the script for the scene was written by Nojima, Katasi and Nojima then planned that most of the main cast would die shortly before the final battle. Uh, Nomura vetoed the idea because he felt it would undermine the impact of Aerith's death. Uh, and that's a really good point that I never thought about before. Uh, the fact that, you know, Aerith being the only main character that really dies in this game, uh, it certainly creates that very real fact that it was poignant. Uh, it was heavy and consequential, as I mentioned. Uh, several character relations and statuses underwent changes during development. Aerith was to be Sephiroth's sister, thought that was interesting, uh, which influenced the design of her hair. Uh, the team then made Sephiroth a previous love interest of hers to deepen her backstory, but later swapped him with Zack. Vincent and Yuffie uh, were to be part of the main narrative, but due to time constraints, they were nearly cut and eventually relegated to being optional, optional characters, uh, important optional characters too. It's very interesting. So there's some more information here on Wikipedia. I'm not gonna read everything, of course, because there's other things uh, that I wanna get to, but we have uh, graphics, plenty of information on the graphics, the incredible soundtrack, the incredible score by Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, lots of information here. Uh, we also have some information on the release of the game. Uh, a PC version was developed eventually um, I believe that that was uh, put out by uh, Eidos, um, who released the Tomb Raider games back back in this time period. I believe that's who ported it to the PC. Some information on localization, uh, lots of information on later releases of of this game, and um, which now is available on so many different platforms. If you want to play it on uh, a newer console. If you want to play the original on Nintendo Switch, you can do all that. And then the legacy. Um, lots to read about here if you want to learn more about the remake. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, uh, which really dives into some of the additional games and animated features that were released for this game. Uh, and also the books, uh, which I had mentioned earlier as well too. 
Um, so yeah, there's so much to cover here. And if you want to have the, the true deep dive, you can dive into Wikipedia and, and click on all the footnotes, right? And you can go to a lot of the additional resources here. And I do want to go down a rabbit hole with you. And that rabbit hole is going to be how magazines covered this game at the time of the, the release, you know, back in 1997. Uh, so we'll dive into a couple magazines now uh, and I also want to cover the player's guides for, for this game because I ended up having two of them and I do remember them so vividly that when I pulled up the PDFs for these games uh, or for these game guides I, I honestly photographically could recall all of the pages <laughs> that's how much time I spent not only with this game uh, but also uh, with the player's guides as well, too. Uh, so let's dive in, you know, to the, the magazine scene in 1997. And you know, before we do that, I just want to take kind of a, a quick trip back into that era just to get ourselves, you know, back into back into the headspace of what it was like in 97. So by most accounts, Final Fantasy VII was released on September 7th in the United States in 1997. And I believe relatively close to that uh, internationally, it came out in Japan first. Uh, so if, if you're in the, the US, you know, kind of thinking through what else was popular at the time, uh, I'm looking at the domestic box office weeklies for 1997. So films that were popular. And in September, uh, in August through September, we have G.I. Jane, Fire Down Below, and The Game. Those were the popular films <laughs> at the time of release. And then later in October, uh, November, we have I Know What You Did Last Summer, I remember seeing that film upon release, <laughs> Starship Troopers. Uh, I was not allowed to see that film upon release, but I did see it eventually on VHS and Mortal Kombat Annihilation uh, and Scream 2, wow, in December. Uh, and then finally, uh, Christmas-ish of 1997, uh, Titanic. <laughs> Titanic would be released and uh, would completely destroy the box office. Um, I think being top of the box office from December through March or April uh, of the following year, which is just completely ridiculous. Uh, thinking through what music was popular back then, if we want to continue our journey uh, down, down time in the, in the DeLorean here, uh, we had I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy really dominate the charts all summer followed by mo money mo problems by the notorious big featuring puff daddy and mace uh, in august and september uh, followed by honey uh, by Ma mariah carey in four season of four seasons of loneliness by boys to men so i love that right 
And even prior to, to Puff Daddy, I'm seeing Hanson on here with Mbop, Spice Girls with Wannabe, Tony Braxton with Unbreak My Heart. So it was a different time, 1997. So if you were fortunate enough uh, to be alive and listening to the radio back then, uh, so many hits. And I remember back in 1997, uh, in the summer, it's probably mid to late summer, uh, I remember seeing a an advertisement for Final Fantasy VII. And I had played Chrono Trigger in Final Fantasy VI before, but I don't think I was a full convert uh, to RPGs or JRPGs. Uh, and I can't recall if Super Mario RPG which I just recently played the remake of. I can't recall if that game was released on Super Nintendo before or after Final Fantasy VII. But for me, that was another important RPG in my own personal history uh, because it had the sensibility of a square, soft game uh, with all the characters I loved from, from Nintendo and a lot of quirk and a lot of charm. So I do remember that quite vividly but I remember seeing an advertisement for Final Fantasy 7 and it was that image uh, of Cloud kind of looking up at the uh, Shinra building uh, with the sword on his back and for whatever reason just instantly knowing that I had to have this game I just had to have it and I convinced uh, my mom at the time to pre-order this game and I don't recall pre-ordering a lot of games back in the day and I'm, I'm sure glad that I did uh, and funny enough I, I, I think I pre-ordered at like a Sears or a department store I don't think we pre-ordered it uh, at a uh, electronics boutique or software etc I'm pretty sure we pre-ordered it at, at a department store and in retrospect, maybe that was a good thing uh, because I know that it was hard to get uh, when it first was released. I, I do recall that uh, being a very popular release at the time. And I don't think I was expecting what I received. I, I, I felt like I was probably getting more of an action game. You know, hero with big sword chops down bad guys. Uh, but I ended up getting such a deep and cinematic experience uh, that's really changed the way I've thought about games and viewed games and connected with games for so many years to come. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm really grateful for Final Fantasy VII. Uh, around the same time, I was a very big consumer of, of video game magazines. Uh, my previous podcast, was a podcast dedicated to looking at Nintendo Power Magazine, uh, which you know I would do a deep dive on each issue, uh, not reading the issues, not like I'm reading content you know from Wikipedia and reading issues today in this podcast, but uh, doing more research and uh, doing a deeper look at the development of games, the history of games, uh, also the music that was played. Um, and I've read a lot of Nintendo magazines, but as I started to get into PlayStation, uh, which I, I, I owned 
a Nintendo 64, a Super Nintendo, and a PlayStation at the time. I know, luxury of, of riches there. Uh, I, I did get a Genesis later, later on, um, secondhand, uh, but I was a Nintendo kid. And I think it was, you know, playing some of those early demos. Uh, I remember playing uh, Two Extreme or the first Extreme game. It's kind of like that uh, X game style uh, game for PlayStation early on. Uh, and just really being into into it, uh, you know, the earliest Jet Moto and Twisted Metal. Uh, I remember, I remember being on a, a skiing trip uh, with with my older cousins, and we were away for a long weekend uh, up in the Poconos here in in Pennsylvania, and I remember my cousin had a Sony PlayStation. Uh, it was the first time I really played it outside of a store. Uh, and he had Twisted Metal, Jet Moto, and I think one other game. And I played so much when I could, you know, when I wasn't out. Uh, consequently, that weekend was also my introduction to the Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> which also it changed my life in many different ways, which I won't get into in this episode. Uh, but... Uh, that was that was a big weekend for me hanging out with older cousins and every time uh if you have older cousins you know that occasionally you'll get into some trouble or learn some things that you weren't meant to learn uh or see as an 11 year old or 10 year old Uh, so i started to get into magazines outside of the nintendo magazines uh and some of the more popular ones back then were game pro uh game informer EGM and there was actually a second EGM EGM 2 uh, and uh, there were a couple others that I would I would browse tips and tricks was a big one uh, PSM which is a PlayStation magazine dedicated PlayStation magazine uh, and I consumed as many of these as, as I could but I didn't have a subscription I, I had a I had a game pro or game former Game Informer subscription later on. Uh, But I I only always had Nintendo Power uh, until PSM came on the scene. And I want to start there. I want to start with PSM. Uh, And the reason why I want to start with PSM uh, is because the first issue of PlayStation Magazine, uh, PSM, which was a 100% independent PlayStation magazine. That's how it's being billed on the cover here. Uh, The first issue, it says, the revolution starts here. And on the cover was an illustration of Cloud, Barrett, Tifa, Aerith, and Red 13, uh, some of the main characters from Final Fantasy VII. And this was the first issue of the magazine. And I remember buying this uh, in, in a Borders, perhaps, um, maybe a Walden Books at the mall. It's so funny. Things were, times were so different back then. Uh, I remember my mom, I was 10 or 11. Uh, she would let me go into, I believe it was Walden Books, and just read 
or Borders and just read video game magazines while she shopped the rest of the mall for 45 minutes to an hour. I would be by myself <laughs> in a in a bookstore at the magazine rack, uh, just reading video game magazines cover to cover and then putting them back. Uh, but there was a reason why I bought PSM and eventually got a subscription. And that was because uh, PSM uh, came with a sticker that went on the lid of your PlayStation. And if anybody was around back then and remembers this, um, I'd love for you to get in touch with me somehow. <laughs> I, I would just love to know if other people share the same memory, but it was a big yellow smiley face with an eye patch over one eye with a star on it. Uh, this kind of devious looking yellow smiley, big circle, uh, and it would go on the lid of your PlayStation. Um, and I, I had this, I had this on my PlayStation and it's the reason I bought the actual issue so that I could bring home this sticker. And also uh, why I got a subscription because they continue to release stickers, memory card stickers, which I had as well. I remember I had Resident Evil. I still have my original PlayStation 1 memory card with a Resident Evil PSM sticker on it. Uh, absolutely loved the bonuses that you got that would allow you to customize your PlayStation with PSM. Uh, so within this issue, there's a Final Fantasy VII 10 page guide with a pullout tip card. Try to figure out what that means. And then uh, 16 pages featuring every PlayStation code ever, uh, along with Tips and Tricks magazine. Uh, we didn't have the internet back then to the extent that we do now. So if you wanted to get ahead in games, either by strategy or by cheating <laughs> with cheat codes, uh, you had to either uh, have a magazine uh, or a booklet, some resource, uh, or you know you would have conversations with your friends in the schoolyard uh, and you would kind of get into it through that. Uh, but yeah, here we have a Final Fantasy VII 10 page guide uh, and some other games that are featured on the cover here, Crash 2, Crash Bandicoot 2, Blasto, Gex 2, uh, Castlevania, Tomb Raider 2, Game Day 98, and Madden 98. So we're in the twos, right? We're in that wave of PlayStation where Crash Bandicoot and Gex and Tomb Raider, they've already kind of been released and made their mark. Uh, and now we are starting uh, to see some sequels. Uh, but Final Fantasy VII would really be that you know, quintessential RPG that was released. Uh, and so many great RPGs would be released in the future for this console. Uh, there seems to be a pullout poster. Uh, you can actually hear your pupils dilate and it is a poster showing Sephiroth uh, kind of pulling down that Genova, that white Genova kind of winged, masked robotic thing, very famous scene in the game in uh, Nebelheim. Uh, you can actually hear your pupils dilate. Squaresoft rated T for teen. Final Fantasy VII, it's a great advertisement here. Uh, and then the next advertisement is for Jersey Devil, which is one of those uh, kind of Gex-like 3D platformers, uh, which is not nearly as 
as memorable, right? Um, some memorable names here, Chris Slate being the editor, uh, the editor of PSM. Uh, and I remember him from other magazines as well too. So why don't we just kind of quickly zip to page 68, which is that Final Fantasy VII 10 page guide. And as I click through, if I see anything really amazing, um, I will stop and let you know. Some information here about E3. E3 being the big conference that was recently, can recently canceled. Uh, but E3 was the place where all of the gaming news was released. It was amazing. And the coverage was great if you were a gaming fan. Uh, a lot of speculation here for PlayStation 2 and uh, for Resident Evil 2. Some interesting stuff here. Some scantily clad photos of Lara Croft, of course. Couldn't have a 1990s magazine without that. Uh, and yes, let's just get through. Final Fantasy VII gets a review in here. Um, and it is rated five out of five, no doubt. Uh, when starting Final Fantasy VII, Square was certainly under a lot of pressure. After all, the Final Fantasy series has always been immensely popular, and gamers have expected each release to be larger and more innovative than its predecessor. Luckily, Square has pulled it off again. Final Fantasy VII is easily the largest and most innovative RPG ever created. The story revolves around Cloud Strife, an ex-soldier living in the town of Midgar. Controlling the town and the rest of the world is the Shinra Corporation, which also happens to be Cloud's former employer. After finding out that Shinra has been ruthlessly draining the planet of its energy, Cloud decides to assist a rebel group called Avalanche from stopping. So zipping ahead to the end of the review here. Uh, regardless, with over 50 hours of gameplay spanned over three discs, this latest installment of the series is certainly the best. It definitely deserves to have a place of honor in every PlayStation owner's collection. It's awesome. Five out of five. Resident Evil Director's Cut, Disney Hercules, Ace Combat, a lot of classics. Street Fighter Collection, getting reviewed here um amazing so i mentioned earlier that i think that i got uh i think that i got final fantasy 7 at sears uh and there's an ad here uh with cloud holding his giant buster sword uh and it says cuts a great deal at sears clip this coupon and take it to any sears funtronics department for one t-shirt and ten dollars off the regular price of final fantasy 7 uh and i don't know if i received the t-shirt or the ten dollars off but the t-shirt looks pretty amazing so if i did have that t-shirt i'm pretty upset that i've parted with it uh, also in this first issue of PSM, we have the top 25 PlayStation games of all time. Let's see what number five 
through one is. So we have Wipeout XL at number five, Soul Blade at number four, Tekken 2 at number three, Tomb Raider at number two, and at number one, we have Resident Evil, which we will no doubt do an episode on in the future uh, because what I think what Final Fantasy did for 3D RPGs, uh, Resident Evil did uh, for kind of 3D action adventure, you know, cinematic horror type of games as well too. Pre- previews, we have uh, we have Blasto. Uh, there's a picture of Phil Hartman here who provided the bo- voice of Blasto. Uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Gex Enter the Gecko, Tomb Raider 2. Uh, we have a couple racing games, Fighting Force, it's a fun beat-em-up. Mortal Kombat Mythology, Sub-Zero. It's kind of the the subplot of Sub-Zero. <laughs> That's a very interesting game. That was a rental for me. I remember renting that game one weekend uh, and also renting uh, Ergites uh, or Ergies. Uh, no, not Ergites. Uh, Einhander. Einhander, uh, which was a shoot-em-up for the PlayStation. Uh, other games here, Bushido Blade, another uh, square game focused on uh, fighting tactics. Crash Bandicoot 2. Uh, some information about your PlayStation peripherals. Uh, and then finally, the PSM strategy guide for Final Fantasy 7. Um, here, you know, it's focused on kind of the beginning of the game. Interestingly enough, uh, it's using some language here, Makoro Town, Makoro Town, Area 8, Makoro Industrial Complex. Uh, Makoro, M-A-K-O-R-O, that was used in early demos of the game, Uh, but it was not used in the final game. So if you read more about the demos for this game that were released, uh, that must be kind of the early build that they were working off of uh, using some of that kind of outdated language here. Um, there's a scene early on in the game uh, in, the, in the city of Midgar where the, the early segment of the game takes place where you storm Shinra Corporation's tower uh, and there's all these different floors Uh, with different activities you need to do on each floor. And that's covered here in the strategy guide pretty extensively. Um, In Final Fantasy III, characters find various relics that bestowed extra abilities upon them. And with Final Fantasy VII, of course, it's Materia, the Materia system. There's a whole breakout here on the Materia and how to leverage the different colors, command materia being yellow, spell casting being green, support being blue, independent being purple, and summoning uh, materia being red. Uh, and there's some good tips and tri- tricks and strategies here for equipping the materia. Uh, here we have areas outside of Midgar covered. And again, these names are 
are incorrect. These names are incorrect. Cannon Town. Uh, I'm going to guess that's Junon. Yep, looking at the description here, um, needing to do the CPR minigame where you have to pump air into a, a, a girl uh, is listed here as well too. Costa del Sol, Gold Saucer. A lot of different locations here using different names than I'm used to seeing. So technically this is in the strategy section of the magazine and it's really a walkthrough, super high level walkthrough, uh, taking you through the various locations. Once you get out of Midgar, we have the Chocobo farm, uh, inside the cave, Cannon Town, which I mentioned was Junon, Costa del Sol, Gold Saucer, and there's a really rough world map uh, of, of Final Fantasy VII and uh, doesn't have all of the locations labeled here, but quite a few. And it'll take you through uh, all the main events of Disc 1. So this is a pretty robust walkthrough uh, for the first, you know, 27, 30 hours of the game. Yeah, it says here at the end of the section that concludes the walkthrough for the first disc. If you manage to get to this point under 27 hours, then you should be proud of yourself. And next month, we'll conclude our Final Fantasy VII coverage with walkthroughs of disc two and three. So be sure to check it out. And um, it's great because at the end here of the section before that, we have Shell Village and uh, it says now prepare yourself for an emotional event and a battle with a major boss and i think if any of us have played final fantasy 7 and i also spoiled a certain death earlier in the episode we know what that emotional event is i'm actually happy that they didn't spoil it here uh, in any way um back in my early 20s uh, i was in a kind of punk rock band and we wrote a song about Final Fantasy VII. It was inspired by Final Fantasy VII. Um, my good friend Anthony, uh, who is probably probably the oldest friend that I can remember. It's how far back we go. Uh, we went to uh, preschool together. Um, we used to play Final Fantasy VII all the time uh, in his basement at my house. Uh, we would uh, swap strategies and swap magazines and swap player's guides and all those things. Uh, and we've probably played through the game dozens of times collectively. Uh, he was in the band and, and he wrote the lyrics to the song and we actually called it end of disc one. <laughs> and it was uh, kind of alluding to, um, well, the formal name was Forgotten City and we uh, referred to it as end of disc one. And it was alluding to the final kind of section of that, that game. Uh, the portion of that game so yeah this is uh, pretty much the coverage in PSM there's some information here for recruiting Yuffie who I mentioned was an optional character uh, so you have to uh, take a few specific actions if you want to recruit her in the game 
Um, Vincent as well, but I don't see that here. Although it could be. It could be listed. It is, yeah. So if you go back to the section where it talks about Nebelheim and the mansion, uh, it does tell you how to get Vincent's. The combination for the safe. It's always a fun little segment. Lots of memories here. And there are some good screenshots throughout the magazine coverage here, but honestly, uh, what stands out to me the most are those classic character illustrations uh, the same ones that were in the instruction manual uh, and the same ones that were included uh, in many different pieces of media covering this game. Yeah, just beautiful il illustrations of all the characters. Barrett, Vincent Valentine, Sid, Sephiroth. Such a great trip down memory lane kind of going through this issue of PSM with you uh, even more there seems to be a pull out chocobo breeding guide which uh, is very interesting because it is also partnered with an NFL game day 98 pro playbook so if you want to learn how to breed chocobos and also run some of Tim Brown and Jerome Bettis' best plays, you can do so with one handy, what seems to be a pull-out booklet. There's so much more to cover with Final Fantasy VII, and we are coming up on the one-hour mark of this episode so I think what I'm going to do is probably do a part two for Final Fantasy VII. And hopefully this episode was uh, on point enough. <laughs> there were some stumbles along the way, I know. Uh, shaking off the cobwebs of podcasting here. And also getting a feel for the format and getting a feel for the timing of, of everything that I want to cover in these, these episodes. So I uh, appreciate your time and your attention, and I hope this was valuable for you to just kind of get lost in nonsense and lost in me rambling and pausing and bouncing to and fro. It's kind of the point. It's the design of this podcast uh, to help you let go to help you power down. So what I'll do is I'll do a part two for Final Fantasy VII. And, and within that part two, I wanna cover two things that we didn't get to cover today. Uh, just a few more magazine features, but I really wanna dive into the Brady Games Strategy Guide, which was the official player's guide for Final Fantasy VII just because I have so many fond memories of that. So I will cover the Brady Games strategy guide in the next episode. And I will also talk a lot about the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, uh, which really spanned a bunch of different mediums uh, from a film to spinoff games, uh, to books, to uh 
an animated series, so much more. So stay tuned. Uh, we will cover more Final Fantasy VII, which is only fitting because we are still leading up to the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth release date, which is in just a few weeks. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. It's been my absolute pleasure to spend some time with you in this very first introduction to Counting Pixels, a retro gaming podcast for powering down uh, to help de-stress, release some tension or anxiety if you have it, to become more mindful of our bodies, of our breathing, and to prepare for sleep and relaxation. The intro song that we heard today was from G's. That song is called Tweezum. And the background music that you're listening to is Our Peaceful Ocean by Music of Wisdom. Both of those songs are used with permission. I will have links in the show notes if you wanna learn more. Again, my name is Tom. This has been Counting Pixels. You can always learn more and subscribe at countingpixelspod.com. That's countingpixelspod.com or through your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe wherever you'd like to listen. Uh, We are just audio only for right now. That might change. Maybe we'll find our way to YouTube or some other platform. Uh, But for now, we are just on the airwaves. As I mentioned, the information presented in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It does not constitute as medical advice. As I mentioned, I'm not a medical professional and I cannot diagnose or treat any medical conditions. And if you have any health concerns, please consult with a qualified healthcare provider. Any actions you take based on the information in this podcast are solely at your own risk. That's all the the legal stuff that I have for you today. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, feel free to leave a review. Uh, again, I know it's rough. We're shaking off the cobwebs. We're shaking off the cobwebs, and uh, things will uh, certainly evolve over time. So I invite you to continue to come on this journey with me. Uh, leave a review. Let me know your feedback. Uh, if if so, what I can improve. Uh, I will drop some contact information at the website countingpixelspod.com so if you want to contact me I'll put up a form there uh, so that you can reach me and um, if you really enjoy this podcast you can always tell a friend Uh, let some people know uh, if it's a community discord community uh, posting on reddit all that really helps to grow the show Uh, this is a labor of love for the time being Um, just really happy to be able to spend some time uh, reflecting and unwinding. So with that, I will see you on the next episode. As always, sleep well, be well, be good to yourself, and be good to each other. Take care.